You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Inside Healthcare. I'm NCQA's Communications Director, Matt Brock. This week, we talk with the data-crunching experts, Dr. Renee Town and Dr. Neam Yaragi. After that, we continue our observance of National Diabetes Month with a clip from episode 66 featuring NCQA's Dr. Mary Barton talking about our new kidney health toolkit. So you want to stay for that. After that, a chat with NCQA President Peggy O'Kane giving an introduction to our new data aggregator validation program. Lots of new stuff for you. But first, everyone knows how annoying it can be when a doctor sits you down and asks you a ton of irrelevant questions, sometimes with their nose in their laptop before even examining you. Is this the new look for healthcare in the digital age? For answers, we turn to our guest today, Dr. Renee Town and Dr. Neam Yaragi. Dr. Town is Director of Quality Programs for KPI Ninja. KPI Ninja helps healthcare institutions deliver better outcomes with a healthy dose of analytics. Dr. Neam Yaragi is Assistant Professor of Business Technology at the University of Miami and a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution's Center for Technology Innovation. His research focuses on the economics of health information technologies. On Inside Healthcare, we talk a lot about the digitalization of health. But once someone gathers the data, crunches the number, then sends them to the right people, what's next? If you ask Dr. Town, thanks to the implementation of the value-based healthcare model, things are really looking up. As someone who works in the healthcare industry and technology, I think this is an incredibly exciting time. Um, as we know, every industry is uh, the operating system is driven by the financial system. And so we've gone through this evolution where it was fee-for-service, patient by patient, but now we're transforming to these more capitation value-based models. And so there's this focus on how do you improve the health of populations? And so with that, it's uh, arising new opportunities and uh, with that new ability to use technology. And as you mentioned, the electronic or the digitalization of health data to how do we get more effective and efficient at these elements to drive health outcomes. So I think this is an incredibly exciting time. The expectations have changed and the the way that we are supporting providers and health organizations needs to change as well. Dr. Yuragi, I think it will come as a surprise to some people who are listening to the podcast as to how we track these things now and, um, and have in the past. I think most people think when they go to their doctor and they sit with their doctor and the doctor asks questions and sometimes it appears, you know, the doctor's looking at the computer more than he's looking at you because he's or she are tracking these things that none of that data actually ends up in the or most of that data does not end up in the file so to speak uh, or accessible can you explain that for us you know we have a lot of uh, we have a lot to unpack here the very first one is that one of the reasons that most of that data is not going to end up being useful is probably because the doctor has to record that without him or her actually wanting to record that or needing right. 
record that. So uh, a large part of it is for compliance purposes. They have to comply mm-hmm. with uh, regulations from the government, and they also have to comply with the requirements uh, from from the payers that that ask them to collect that data, whereas that data may not necessarily be useful in the treatment of the patient. That is one reason. The other reason is the fact that this data would be useful and can uh, be analyzed and can end up showing in the patient's file if it's being uh, interoperable uh, and it's being exchanged properly with the with the data collected uh, by other physicians in other locations, or at least that is when the data would show its highest potential. And we still have the problem of interoperability or lack of interoperability, believe it or not, after uh, more than a decade of investments in in these uh, in these technologies. Now, you may ask that if uh, if you if if the data is not necessarily useful, then why the government or the insurance are requiring physicians to collect it? Don't they know it? Uh, aren't they smart enough? Yes, they are smart enough, and they do know it. But I think it's. Uh, it's very difficult to come up with a different data collection requirement for each physician and each unique patient condition that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these regulators and these payers would end up going with a very broad brush and asking physicians to collect uh, a set of data that is going to be useful for most patients, but not necessarily for specific kind of patients or a specific kind of physicians. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they have to find a common ground and in order to be able to implement such, uh, such requirements and regulations. And that is, uh, that is reason behind it. This ends up all of this data uh, often in health information exchanges. And as if I understand it in sort of my simple understanding, the uh, challenge can be uh, getting rid of duplicate data or deduplicating data. And, um, and identifying where it all comes from and then making sure that it is all aligned, asking the same questions with the same parameters. So let's take a broader perspective for a moment that, you know, we take this electronic health data, you know, the digital health data about a patient. Um, And we have so many different standards in healthcare. So we have the interoperability standards with CCDs and HL7 and, um, you know, ICD-10 codes, RX norm. I mean, I could go on and on. There are so many standards around interoperability, rather the exchange of the data, how the data, data is documented and so forth. But, you know, we're seeing some really positive Uh, indicators, what I would call leading indicators from the industry, that we're starting to look at data quality and completeness and saying, hey, what is the utility of this data? The conversation used to be um, the data, and now it's what do we do with the data? So let me give you an example. Um, ONC recently has published their US CDI standards, which helps bring together all these different vocabulary standards. So it's really a framework upon which all these other standards can begin to live. Because before this, we were really in a muddled mess of what standards do we use, where, what value sets, and so forth. But with this UCDI, organizations like ACOs, clinically integrated networks, and HIEs now have this framework to start saying, what is the data quality and completeness? Which is incredibly beneficial. Now that we have this framework, we have something to compare to, to improve upon, and ultimately to improve the data quality is then to increase the utility of it for value-based care, quality measurement, population health. And when we think about HIEs and their mission to improve health outcomes, um, 
it always seems a little bit elusive besides the core use case of using health data to help fill gaps in a patient's chart. That is a very established use case, but as HIEs are evolving down this population health path, we start saying, well, what else can the HIE do for us? How is this different than national exchanges? How is this different than you know, my own local analytics that I use internally? And so unless we as an industry can get very explicit about what are those specific use cases and how are they unique and different than others in the market, um, I think we'll continue to have to work on the utility of our data and the utility of our HIEs. Why is it that I can get my credit record, but I can't get my health record in all the same places and for it to be measured the same way and um, uh, valued the same way. Dr. Yuragi, what, what do you say to those folks? I think there are three parts to that answer. Uh, mm -hmm. The first part is the technical part, and that is medical data is way more complicated than your credit score or your financial data. Financial data is very structured. There are certain standards that govern how this data should be collected and how, what is the structure of this data, right? So, so it is easier to work with. And as you can imagine, there, are not, uh, there is not too much variety when it comes to financial data, whereas when it comes to medical data, the variety is, uh, is basically unlimited. So that is, uh, that is one part of it. It's merely more difficult to, to collect and uh, govern medical data. Uh, the second part of it is that uh, we did not used to have interoperability in finance data. It's something relatively new. If you read information systems journals, you see that research that people were doing on this idea of having a connected ATM network that you know your Bank of America ATM can get your data from, say, Chase Bank. It's relatively new, but we've just forgotten about it. And that the, the reason that uh, we now have interoperability in financial data, and you can have access to your bank records from everywhere that you want, is because uh, banking industry realized that it is to their benefit to establish this interoperability. And what do I mean by that? It is, uh, it is the moment that they realize that, oh, you know, I can make more money if I put an ATM that can serve a larger population of patients a larger population of customers. So you do not yeah. necessarily need to only give services to Bank of America customers. Hey, if I could connect to Chase, then I could charge Chase customers to have access to their ATM as well. You know, simply uh, as simple as that. Uh, that economic uh, aspect is not yet established in the healthcare industry. As a, as a, as a matter of fact, it is, to, it is a disadvantage, economically speaking, for many of these healthcare organizations to allow you to have access or easy access to your data and exchange it easily with other providers. And one reason for that is, again, it is an established uh, fact by sound empirical research that when uh, hospitals allow you to uh, easily exchange your data and take your uh, full records, then the likelihood of you as a patient to go to other hospital system to seek a second opinion and leave their system uh, significantly increases. Uh, 
uh, they do not want to lose their customers the same way that banks do not want to use, lose their customers and Facebook and Twitter do not want to lose their customers. Now, that was the second part. So the first part is the technical. The second part is economic and political, which I think is very, very difficult to tackle. And the third part is that I think you're too harsh in healthcare industry and you're giving, giving too much credit to, 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 say, banking. Because think about it. While your uh, credit score is readily available by anybody who wants it, uh, Bank of America is never going to share your detailed transactions with any other bank. Your, your Amex credit card is not going to share uh, the details of your transactions with anybody else. And the reason is they, that is so much valuable. You know, based on your transactions, they can create a profile of you and they can understand what kind of promotions would work better on you. And based on looking on how your uh, how your, uh, you know, credit card debt is increasing or decreasing, they can, for example, come up with new credit card offers to you. And that data is valuable enough for them to safeguard it. So while a general summary of your data is going to be available to everybody. And that is, oh, you know, whether or not you uh, missed a payment to your credit card, uh, the details are pretty uh, uh, seriously <laughs> safeguarded by, by all these different players in, in the finance industry. So that is uh, still fragmented. And I think the reason for that is the same reason that we see fragmentation in the healthcare industry. And that is, well, economically speaking, it still does not make sense for Bank of America to reveal all of their basically trade secrets uh, to, to their competitors. So as long as there is a market for it, uh, meaning that as long as the economic barriers to, uh, to exchanging and sharing data are removed, then we see a very, uh, very healthy uh, exchange of data, but uh, as soon as you see that uh, there is not enough uh, financial and economic incentives for exchanging that, then uh, you would you would see the uh, you would have the same experience that you have in the healthcare industry. But Dr. Town, that means we kind of have to change the model, right? And that's what's happening with this population health business in terms of it's changing the economic model um, that incentivizes finding yep. a way. Correct. Talk to yeah, us about that. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Uh, you know, the financial and the payment system drives everything. And, you know, as uh, Neom mentioned there that, uh, you know, we're becoming this consumer market. We're starting to talk about um, engaging with patients in their care, being active participants, providing transparency around providers and their performance, transparency around pricing and so forth. So the levers are being pulled to start driving this consumer-centric market. And with that, what does that look like at a more granular level for healthcare organizations to say, how do I serve my clients better? Of course, healthcare, we're, we're patient-centered, right? You hear it constantly, of course. Um, but really, we need to turn that healthcare ecosystem upside down where the patient is at the top. Um, and we're seeing that with many different models, um, but driven by that consumer-centric financial payment system. So tell me then um, about the data aggregation validation program at NCQA. First of all, that essentially, as, as I understand it, validates that you all are handling the data in the correct way. That seems to me as a key component to get 
to where we need to get is this uh, somebody to to be arbiter um, that we're all handling it the same way. Is that correct? Do I have it right? Do I have it wrong? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of things I could talk about here, but the the biggest <laughs> thing is <laughs> um, so health information exchanges. Their core value proposition to the industry is this ability to have more comprehensive real-time data to drive healthcare improvement. And so the value propositions of HIEs to different stakeholders looks very differently. So sometimes that is the computation or the calculation of different quality metrics, but the value proposition between HIEs and health plans is now evolving thanks to NCQA's data aggregator validation program. The HIE has a tremendous data set but it was limited in the way that it could be used for health plans within their HEDIS reporting. They could only use certified measures. Well, the DAB opens it up and says, hey, if you can demonstrate adherence and compliance to rigorous standards and that you demonstrate through a primary source verification process that you maintain the data integrity from these various systems, accurately aggregate it together, that that can be used as part of HEDIS reporting and many other use cases within the health plan, care management activities, population health, quality. And again, Matt, we're talking solely about the use case with health plans. Once that data and that is demonstrated to be valid, that opens up the opportunity for so many other use cases with ACOs, clinically integrated networks, provider groups, hospitals, because who doesn't want valid data to help drive their healthcare improvements? And as a key pivot point, Dr. Yuragi, I think for some things you talked about in terms of interoperability, right? It's it's sort of merging all these different systems uh, in one one area, correct? Yes. And, you know, I think uh, one, one thing that Rani mentioned uh, very briefly, but I think is hugely important, is this consumerization of, of healthcare and, uh, and how it is fundamentally changing the healthcare market and subsequently the role of these HIEs would have to play in, in this market. And, and the way that I would put it is that when you look at all of the changes that uh, we've experienced in the healthcare market, they have all been driven either by the government or very large insurances. Uh, the most recent example being Affordable Care Act. That was a huge fundamental uh, change in our healthcare, healthcare system driven by the government. Uh, the other example would, uh, would have been, say, High Tech Act, which required uh, digitization of, uh, of, uh, of the U.S. healthcare system. That was a fundamental change. And uh, you may have different perspective about, uh, about uh, you know, whether or not these uh, changes were towards good or better system or not, but, but what is underlying uh, all of them is the fact that although the intention in all of these regulations and changes was to uh, was to make sure that the patients uh, are, are going to be better off, they did not put the patient in the center, meaning that they did not give the patients enough uh, choice. They did not treat the patient the same way that Walmart treats the customer. Uh, it, the, the ultimate customer uh, 
are health insurance companies in, in, in the healthcare market and, and the government is not a patient. Uh, but we're going to see that change uh, because uh, because of uh, many different factors, one of them being that you know these uh, uh, non-traditional healthcare companies, uh, retail companies, and tech companies are entering the market. And when they enter the market, they would have very different uh, strategies, very different uh, approaches to providing services. In some cases, they may even uh, bypass the, the traditional payers and get into agreements directly with the patients. So, for example, you uh, right now, if you need long-term care, you have to go through Medicaid or Medicare, and if you're lucky, to some portion uh, through your private insurance. Uh, what does it mean? It means that the nursing home, at the end of the day, is going to... Uh, is going to answer to the person that pays it, and that is the government or your private insurance, not you. You know, uh, your your uh, level of satisfaction has very little to zero impact on how much they are getting paid. It actually has, believe it or not, zero impact on whether or not you would return to their facility, because it's been shown that people go to the facilities that are closer to their home. Right or closer to to their to their children's home, right? Because the children want to visit and stuff like that. Now we are seeing a, a new technology, which are uh, you know assisted living through sensors and and uh, AI mediated technologies. Now instead of uh, needing to go to live in a nursing home, you can uh, you can delay it at least uh, for for significant time by uh, by having uh, all these different sort of sensors uh, installed in your home and monitored uh, by by private companies that uh, that are going to provide those services to you and uh, and they are willing to uh, sell their services to you on a subscription basis. If you can go and buy a Amazon Prime subscription, if you're will, if you can go and have a Netflix subscription, who says that you cannot have a, 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 a you know sensor monitoring subscription for assisted living in your own home? That also includes, say, additional add-on services like people who can come visit you when you really need them. And why can't you be directly dealing with that provider? And why can't there be competition in the market between those providers? So uh, you would be the ultimate customer. Uh, the level of your satisfaction would affect their bottom line and would affect the number of patients or the number of customers that they are going to have. So uh, I, I, I think we are getting to that, uh, that ideal situation where we can uh, use the term customer instead of the patients. And as soon as we can do that, uh, most of the problems that you're observing today are going to be resolved because uh, all of these different players in the market would actively seek ways to collect, share, and use various types of data in very unique and uh, and clever ways, you know, every day we see retail companies, for example, are using data in order to improve their services. Sometimes it becomes controversial because they're so good in predicting their customers, and in essence, it implicitly means that they are able to uh, 
customize their services and their products so good that it's kind of scary for customers. You know, you'd receive ads that are so on the point that you say, oh my gosh, you know, it, it seems like- Are, are they listening? I do. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and we would have that in the healthcare. And most of these initiatives, these big, hairy, audacious initiatives that we've had are basically towards that goal. When you're talking about precision medicine, what is precision medicine? It's targeted advertisement at the end of the day in its, in its essence, right? So rather than giving one medication to everybody, just like it used to be in the internet industry where one kind of ad was shown to every single viewer, now we're going to have uh, medication that are personalized based on your genomic composition, and they are going to you know, be right on the point specifically for you. Now, how, how can we reach that stage? The same way that the internet and online advertising industry reached that stage, and that is by rigorous collection, uh, exchange, and analysis of data. And a standard for that. Correct, yes. Renee? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, Neam, and this is what's exciting about this. Matt, you talked earlier, you kicked off this podcast with saying, is it doom or gloom? It's exciting because we're talking about how do we use the data? So yeah. with that, we're talking about how do you use the data to get your consumers, get your patients? And so now we're talking about with HIEs of how do we use this data that we have? Who needs it and what are they gonna do with it? What are those use cases? And until we can start really defining them, it's gonna be very elusive. So I think this is an incredibly exciting time with you know, defining even very uh, traditional ways of exchanging data, continuity of care documents. And then what does this look like now to Neam's point with this AI mediated devices um, and all these new data sets? It's a really exciting time with technology and healthcare. And what I was going to say, uh, Dr. Town, is that it's job security for folks <laughs> like you. All of this, for all of this data coming, it must be, because there's just more of it, uh, it must be very exciting. Uh, we, we've just heard the promise. What are the sort of immediate challenges for, for HIEs? As we're evolving from these single use cases or data intermediaries to say, how, how can we be population health enablers? How can we support our providers, our healthcare systems to provide higher quality healthcare? So key examples, we talked about the stakeholder group with payers with providing data to help support their HEDIS reporting, but not only that data that they can use for care management activities. One great example that I love is a health plans care manager um, has to call the hospital and say, hey, has one of our members discharged? Think about the waste involved in that process. Now when they have more real-time data directly from the HIE, the information is there. They can even be alerted on it if they so wish. And so that's one use case. Now that looks very different than what are the ways that we are using the HIE data with payers and providers. So let's look at the provider. An HIE can support providers with providing more comprehensive data. That primary care physician can only see it inside their four walls. They do not know if they seek care at an ED visit or at the hospital, or maybe even another primary care provider or a specialist. So when we start saying primary care providers are responsible for the outcomes of their patients, they need to have this 360 view of what does that look like? And that is simply from a utilization standpoint of where they seek care, let alone what services they're provided, what their lab results are, um, 
what sort of pharmaceutical interventions are taking place, what medications are they taking? And that's the value of the HIE, this ability to provide a more 360, 3D view of their patients to help them make um, great care decisions. Dr. Yuragi, your thoughts on, on the future uh, of all of this, the challenge? These HIEs are like these extremely talented, capable contractors, uh, general contractors, that they can do many different things. They can come completely demolish your home and make a skyscraper for it. You know, uh, however, the only thing that you were asking them was to mow your lawn so far, you know, and they are just bored by mowing the lawn. And uh, simply because they only had this one customer that had no uh, uh, no other need or I don't want to use it, no, uh, no other, you know, foresight than than just mowing the lawn. And, you know, this is this huge talent that you have here that can come and build a big, beautiful house for you. Uh, why don't you ask them to come build, uh, build a beautiful house for you? So, so with the consumerization of healthcare, with the entry of these other, uh, other customer, customers for data, and with this uh, availability of, uh, of new forms of data, I think, uh, HIEs would 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 receive requests from from these new people and say that hey you know uh, can you come and do this new job for me and can you come build this new thing for me and their their challenge is to believe in themselves and says yeah of course I can do it there, you know the fact that you've been mowing the lawn for so long does not mean that you cannot you cannot now go and do the foundation for example or or build the walls uh, you can do that and you have everything that is required for you to to be able to do that so they just have to break the mold uh, that they, they they've been in for so long health equity does that does the the talk and the discussion of equity really fit in there somewhere is it a driver I, I think it does you know uh it, it has become to the forefront of national discussions wherever we see you know talking about anything let alone healthcare equity is now a big part of it and now we know that hies can do a lot when it comes to leveling the play field uh, and and helping policymakers to uh to improve on other aspects of healthcare one of them being health equity Dr. Town, we'll finish with your thoughts on that. Equity data is important, just like quality data, like financial data and so forth. We need the data, we need it collected, and we need to use it to drive health outcomes. And so if that's equitable data, we need to learn how we can capture that in a more standardized format to help use it and drive healthcare improvements. That's Dr. Renee Town and Dr. Neam Yaragi on improvements in using data to get good health care to the folks who need it most. Moving on now, November is National Diabetes Month. NCQA recently paired up with Bayer to develop a kidney health toolkit. These two concepts are related. From episode 66, I spoke with NCQA's Vice President for Performance Measurement, Dr. Mary Barton, who told us how the toolkit helps boost early detection of chronic kidney disease. Patients who have diabetes are now going to be measured not only on their 
blood sugar control with the hemoglobin A1C and their blood pressure control, uh, but also whether they've received these two kidney tests, the UACR or urine albumin creatinine ratio uh, and the creatinine. Um, and the idea is when we add measures like this, then people begin to pay attention, don't they? Well, that's the thing. By creating this, these tools that clinicians can use, there's a poster for a clinician to put up in their office, you know, a pamphlet for patients. I think we're, we're trying to um, jumpstart conversations in a way that a measure might take a long time to do. So we're, we're using these educational tools to really get in on the ground level. And, um, you know, I think that it's really a great uh, multiplier to have these educational tools together with the measure as we institute this new measure. That's NCQA's Dr. Mary Barton with a quick rundown of our new Kidney Health Toolkit. Find out more about the measures and learning materials discussed by going to ncqa.org slash kidney health toolkit, or you can just put kidney health toolkit in the search box at the top of our website. And while you're at it, you can listen to past episodes of this podcast anytime by going to blog.ncqa.org or browsing through the past 66 episodes on the podcast app of your choice. Anywhere you get your, your podcast, that's where you'll find Inside Healthcare. But wait, there's more on this edition of Inside Healthcare. Now we're gonna offer a taste of another one of NCQA's newest groundbreaking products, the Data Aggregator Validation Program. In this conversation with NCQA Vice President for Public Policy and External Relations, Frank Michike, our president, Peggy O'Kane, talks about the need for the data aggregator validation program and how it fits within the organization's overall vision for improving the delivery and the quality of healthcare. One program that I know uh, NCQA is very excited about is the uh, data aggregator validation program, which I believe is in the process of launching. Uh, we've got our first cohort of uh, customers who are uh, going through the program. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you think it will uh, do for the uh, more efficient, more accurate movement of data in healthcare quality? Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's very interesting to think about where we are today with quality measurement. You know, so as you know, HEDIS was built off claims data but claims data really doesn't go far enough in terms of really much information about a lot of the very important areas of healthcare. And so many of our measures have required going into charts and, you know, you know, people, armies of nurses going into doctor's offices, which was neither popular with the doctor's offices nor with the plans that were paying the armies of nurses. And, um, really kind of pitiful if you think about it in an era when we have digital data on patients because you know we invested so much money through the high tech act um, i think that the dav program i'm going to call it that because it's such a cumbersome name uh, it 
proposes to mobilize data that's out there either with HIEs, health information exchanges, or with commercial ventures that, that play the same role um, that are aggregating data and, and then allow the plans to report that aggregated data as the supplemental data uh, of, of um, HEDIS. But actually, the goal is really to get beyond that so that, I mean, the, the real goal is to have practitioners at the time they're practicing, delivering care, have the data that they need to do the right thing the first time. Um, you know, quality, one of the reasons quality measurement is, let's say, not so popular with a lot of people who deliver care is it feels like a game of gotcha. And it's kind of like, okay, last year you failed to do f the following with your, the people you took care of. And uh, it, it's just, it's unacceptable. When we have locked in all these little cubby holes of the delivery system, the data that's needed to do the right thing the first time, um, it's unacceptable to be where we are. And so this is a big deal and it's not in NCQA's power to change that overnight. But what we're trying to do is work with others like CMS, like others that are in the world of quality to figure out ways to get the data to be in the right place at the right time so that the person that's delivering the care can do the right thing. That's really the goal. And to me, the quality measurement is a byproduct of that. It should be, as somebody said, the exhaust of delivering care. And that brings to mind a phrase I've seen CMS talk about, and I think the NCQA certainly embraced, which is report once and then use that, uh, that reporting, that one uh, report by a given provider clinician uh, and use that to meet the reporting needs that they may have to three systems and four plans and all of that. And like blockchain, um, right? It's yes. like, yeah, the provenance, right? I mean, you know, this this should be something that we take advantage of in healthcare. And those of us in quality, I think, have a particular ethical responsibility to try to make that kind of thing work. Yeah, so there's both the efficiency of it and then there's the ability to move that data more quickly and more efficiently and to get data in front of uh, providers at the time of service, near the time of service, just to speed up their ability to, to act properly. Uh, right. So it's a very exciting. Um, uh, it's very course. exciting. It's very daunting. Those of us who work in quality, we have a responsibility to figure out what's our way of helping this thing move forward and i know we're i know we're doing that actively all of those groups uh how does what you've just described uh, fit with the vision that cms laid out in the rfi that they put out earlier this year well i mean i think we thought it looked very very similar to what we've been laying out so um i you know and the more i go you know i went to uh the onc conference virtually on friday and there was a panel uh, and everybody was kind of speaking the same language. So I think that there's a convergence of the nerds perhaps, but um, <laughs> a convergence of vision of what the system needs to look like and act like. And I think we're, you know, we've already, I, I kind of feel like we're in a race um, because uh, we've got a lot of disenchanted practitioners 
And you add that to the, the nightmare that they're living through with COVID right now. Um, and we don't have time to continue to do things in a way that's, uh, that's punitive to them. So I, I just feel like we've got to figure out what is the strategy? We're not going to flip the whole system overnight, but how can we make incremental progress that feels like it's a relief to the practitioners as we're moving forward? Okay, but I know you've heard this uh, as this topic has become um, has come to the forefront at NCQA and elsewhere. What about those who say we're moving too fast to digital and that in that process, some people, some providers will be left behind? Yeah, I do think that there's a fair case to be made that the whole system can't move forward at the same speed. Um, we know there are very big differences in capabilities. There are difference in model types. You know, there are, you know, some plans have dedicated groups of providers that they work with. Other plans are dealing with a much more dispersed group that have maybe less capabilities. And so that creates a challenge in terms of the change management. And I, to me, it's like one of the big challenges of public policy is how do you how do you kind of uh, encourage the vanguard to move forward while you're trying to uh, work with uh, the more difficult uh, use cases out there and don't disadvantage them and don't discourage them? So I take this uh, challenge very seriously. I don't think it's a matter of we're trying to move too fast. I think maybe we have to we have to be more discerning and strategic about which which parts of this can move for whom, and how do we incentivize those who feel like this is just too much trouble? That's NCQA President Peggy O'Kane on the Data Aggregator Validation Program. She's speaking there with our Vice President for Public Policy and External Relations, Frank Michike. You can find out more about how you might benefit from the NCQA Data Aggregator Validation Program by going to our website, ncqa.org, and typing DAV into the search field in the top right corner of the page. And finally, here's a few things coming up on the NCQA calendar on Wednesday, November 17th. Our Quality Innovation Series presents using natural language processing to achieve HEDIS year-round review. And our 2021 Quality Innovation Series wraps up on Thursday, November 18th with our closing session, Digital Solutions for Advancing the Quality Playbook. This is an important one. A reminder that the Quality Innovation Series videos will be online and available to view on demand anytime for a few more months. So please check them out. It's worth it. Oh, and hey, if you'd like to reach us here at Inside Healthcare, we welcome all your comments and feedback. We're always open for ideas for the show. You can contact us through our website, ncqa.org, or you can send us an email at communications at ncqa.org. Well, that's all we have for this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Inside Healthcare. On behalf of producer Dave Smolar, I'm Matt Brock, wishing you good health from NCQA, dedicated to measuring quality and improving healthcare. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, 
a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. Thank you.